Well, it's nice to be with you again uh, tonight, and uh, thank you for allowing me to be part of your services today. I've been asked to share a thought with you from the scriptures this evening, just a short message, and I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, and uh, really looking at verse 10. But before I do that, let's just pray together. Lord, your word tells us that uh, we cannot live by bread alone and that we need every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so we pray that you will feed us tonight spiritually from your word and help us as we ponder your truth together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth and from its farthest corners I called you and I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, let me set a little bit of the context. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. He ministered from around 740 to around 701 BC. His ministry spanned the reign of three of Judah's kings. Uh, he was called into uh, the prophetic ministry the year that King Uzziah died. The story is told in Isaiah chapter 6. He heard the Lord say, uh, Whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And that really uh, launched him into his life's work and his prophetic ministry. By the time that we reach Isaiah chapter 41, the ten northern tribes have been overrun by the Assyrians uh, in 722 BC. And uh, God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah were following hard in the footsteps of their brothers and sisters in the north. They had become idolatrous. They were worshipping gods that could not see and could not hear and could not speak. And not only had they become idolatrous, but it's clear from what Isaiah says that they had also become corrupt and they were exploiting the poor and, and so on. And Isaiah spends really 39 chapters trying to call them back to the ways of the Lord and reminding them of the judgment of God and the condemnation of God. In chapter 41, um, Isaiah has already told the southern kingdom of Judah that they are going to fall to the Babylonians and that they will be dragged as prisoners of war across the desert to the city of Babylon where they will be settled in prisoner of war camps um, along the Kibar River. And... Uh, in chapter 41, he, he anticipates that exile. He writes, it hasn't happened yet, but he anticipates the sense of despair and despondency and discouragement that the exiles will feel and experience as Jerusalem has been destroyed and they've been carried across the desert. So he writes to encourage them and uh, he gives them three reasons not to despair and not to be filled with fear, even though they find themselves in exile. 
And I want to look at those three reasons with you. First of all, they are not to be afraid because they have the Lord's presence. Isaiah, speaking on God's behalf, says, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, the people of Judah would have associated the presence of God with the temple in Jerusalem. God had revealed his temple, his presence in the temple beyond the curtain and above the Ark of the Covenant. But the temple has been destroyed and they've been dragged off uh, by a hostile invader and they're now living in a pagan city far from home. But Isaiah wants them to know that the God of the temple has not been destroyed. And here he promises that God will be with them. God's presence will be with them in their exile. And that's the reason that they're not to be afraid and they're not to be discouraged. All is not lost. Now, the Lord's presence, I think, has been one of the great blessings that has marked the lives of God's people down through the centuries. We could think about Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, carried off into Egypt and sold in the slave trestles of Egypt, uh, bought by Potiphar and becomes Potiphar's servant, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and ends up in a dungeon prison. And yet it says in Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He must have uh, wondered where in the world the Lord had brought him to, but the Lord was with him and he prospered. The same could be said of Moses. Um, remember God spoke to him uh, in, from a burning bush on the backside of the desert as he's minding his father-in-law's sheep. And God says to him, I want you to go back down into Egypt and lead my people into freedom. And he says, well, there's no way I could do that. There's a price on my head. I killed an Egyptian with my bare hands. And remember what God said to him, but I'll be with you, Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. That's the promise that God gives to him. I'll be with you, Moses. Remember Joshua? And God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. I want you to become Moses' successor. And Joshua must have felt overwhelmed with, with, with the thought of replacing such a great leader and such a great man of God uh, such as Moses was. And remember what God said to him? He didn't say, I'll send you on a leadership course and, and, and that will help you to be the leader that Moses was. He said to him, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. The same could be said of the disciples. Remember, Jesus commissioned them to go into all the world and make more disciples into every nation. And what was the promise? I'll send you on, on, a, on a church planting course and, and that, that'll be all that you need. And that probably would have been helpful. But that wasn't the promise that, that Jesus gave to them. The promise that Jesus gave to them was, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the wonder and privilege of being one of God's people. God is always with us. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter what our circumstances, even if we're locked up in our own homes and we can't get out, the promise is that God will always be with us, always be with us. I have a friend who uh, was called to be the evangelist of a church in southern England, and uh, 
He was to lead the church in evangelism and and a bigger church with a big pastoral team. And no one from the church really supported him or went out with him when he went onto the streets um, to do evangelism or street work. And one day his wife, who was discouraged about that, said to him, So are you going out alone today again? And he said, Oh, no, I'm not going alone. There'll be four of us. Oh, she says, Well, who'll be with you? Oh, he says, There'll be, I'll be there. God the Father will be there, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because no matter what we do, God will be with us. May I preach every sermon as though Jesus were listening, because he is. May you and I carry out every act that we ever do as though Jesus, as though we were doing it in the immediate presence of God, because we are. God is with us right there, no matter what we do. God's presence is a great encouragement. I was speaking at a conference a little while ago and I met a couple from uh, a group of islands known as Vanuatu and uh, they used to be known as the New Hebrides and it reminded me of John uh, Payton. He arrived on the New Hebrides uh, on the 5th of November 1858. So 5th of November he arrives in the New Hebrides. Three months later his wife gives birth to their first son on the 12th of February, 1859. On the 3rd of March, just a handful of days later, his wife died. 17 days later, their baby son died. And Peyton, of course, buried them with his own hands. And he wrote in his journal, I would have gone insane, kneeling at their lonely graves, had it not been for the sweet presence of Christ. So I want you to know uh, that God is with you wherever you are and whatever your circumstances. Well, secondly, they are not to be afraid because they are the Lord's possession. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And in essence, what God is saying to Israel is, you belong to me and I belong to you. And in the verses surrounding verse 10, Isaiah the prophet picks up on the fact that God had called them into existence as a nation. God had stepped into Ur of the Chaldees and tapped a moon worshipper on the shoulder and said, I want you to step out on a journey of faith um, to a land that I'm, I want you to come with me to, a land that I'll show you and I'm going to make you into a great nation and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And out of all of the people groups in the world, God had set his love upon Abraham and his descendants and he committed them himself to them in a covenant relationship. God redeemed them when they fell into the slavery of Egypt. He bought them back, sent Moses to lead them out into uh, freedom. And here uh, the prophet is reminding them that God called them and had chosen them and that God had redeemed them. And surely what is true for Israel is true for us. God has called us to himself, drawn us into a relationship with himself, saved us. Not only he has redeemed us, um, he has committed himself to us in a covenant relationship. And uh, it's a great thing, isn't it, to belong to the Lord and to know that to be able to say, I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is love. I was thinking about this um, recently. Remember that story in Job where the sons of uh, the Lord appeared in his presence and there was an intruder. 
and, and God said to the intruder, uh, have you considered my servant Job? He was upright and righteous. And uh, the, the intruder says, yes, well, the only reason that he uh, is upright and righteous and serves or worships you is because you've put a hedge of protection around him. If you allow me to penetrate the hedge, you'll see what the real Job is like. Now, the story goes on and Job proves that God is enough for him. But I read that story and thought for a few minutes, isn't it interesting that Satan had to ask for permission to penetrate the hedge of protection? Why did he not just go ahead and penetrate that hedge of protection? And I've come to the conclusion that you cannot touch God's property without God's permission. Remember in the upper room, uh, Jesus said to the disciples and speaking to Peter in, in particular and using his old name said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, I read that and wondered, why did Satan have to ask to sift Peter as wheat? Why did he not just put Peter in the sieve and hammer the living daylights out of him? And surely it's because you cannot touch God's property without God's permission. And when we became Christians, a new sign went up over the lintels of our hearts. And it said, under new management, we now belong to the Lord. So isn't it a great thing, a great thing to be able to say, I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is love. Finally then, and quickly, we, uh, the, the, the people of Judah in exile, living a miserable existence, are not to be afraid because they've got the Lord's presence, because they are the Lord's people, uh, and uh, thirdly, because they've got the Lord's pr promises, and there, there are three of them in this text. First of all, um, Isaiah, speaking on the Lord's behalf, says, Fear not, for I will strengthen you. I'll strengthen you. The Israelites must have wondered, how will they ever survive the exile? And will the return from exile that the prophets predicted, will, will that ever come to pass? And yet God here promises to strengthen them in exile. And when you look at this story and follow it through, you'll see that God did strengthen them. You think about the three Hebrew boys who refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image whilst they were in exile. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar threatened them with uh, being thrown into a furnace. And they said to Nebuchadnezzar, you can heat the furnace as long as you like, as hot as you like. We're not bowing to your golden image. The only person that we bow to is Yahweh. And if Yahweh decides to save us uh, from the furnace, then so be it. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your image and we will still trust him. Now you say to yourself, where did these boys get the courage to speak to the Babylonian king like this? Surely it was because God strengthened them. I think of a story um, of a man called Alan Cameron sitting in the Tollbooth jail in Edinburgh and the dragoons burst in and they've got a head on the end of a dagger and they hold it up to him and they say to him, do you recognize it? Recognize it, he says, it is my son my only son. And then he takes it and kisses it and places it on his uh, lap and he launches into this whole soliloquy. And you can read about this in Fair Sunshine, little book. And, and he says, and it is the Lord who has caused goodness and mercy to follow me and mine all the days of our lives. And you say to yourself, 
Where does he get the courage to speak to the dragoons like this? And, and, and how is it when you do your worst to someone, he still trusts the Lord? Surely it is because the Lord strengthens. I don't know who it was. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that God gives dying grace to the dying. God's word says, as your days, so shall your strength be. That's not just the number of your days, it's also the nature of your days. Whatever our days hold, God will strengthen us. If he brings it, us to it, he, he has the strength and can give us the strength uh, to get through it. Secondly, they're not to be afraid because the Lord promises to help them. I'll strengthen you and I'll help you. I mean, as the people of Judah and indeed the Israelites, um, if if every single man within their number was fighting fit, there's no way that they could escape the, the military might of the Babylonians. There's no way that they could escape their aggressor. So how will these uh, predictions that they will return from exile ever come to pass? Well, it's because the Lord will help them. In the tiny state of Anshan, a leader will emerge by the name of Cyrus. He will throw over, off his overlord. He will become the inheritor of the great empire of the Medes and the Persians. He'll conquer the Babylonians and he'll come to power. And one of the first things that he'll do when he comes to power, and it was unthinkable, he will repatriate the Hebrews. He will send them home to build, rebuild their temple and to pray for him because he wanted the favor of the gods. And the exile will come to an end because God will be their helper. One of the most precious memories I have of my grandfather was when he was dying in St. John's Hospital in Livingston. And uh, he had gangrene in one of his feet and uh, poison had gone through his whole system and sent him delirious. But in one of his more lucid moments, his lips were moving and I leaned in close to hear what he was saying. And he was repeating this text over and over again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And here uh, the prophet promises speaking on God's behalf, promises that the Lord will strengthen them and help them. And finally, the Lord promises that he will uphold them. Fear not, for I will uphold you. They could have been lost in exile forever, even on their return home. They could have been attacked by bands of robbers uh, and, and obliterated, never to be heard of again. But God promises not only... Uh, to strengthen them and help them, but to uphold them. And that carries the sense of carrying them. God promises that he will carry them. Even when they got back uh, to uh, Jerusalem, uh, he upheld them against the threats of Sambalat and Tobiah as they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And God did uphold them. I think that they would look back and see how God bore them along on eagles' wings. And I think that's true of us in the Christian life. We'll look back on our lives when they end and we'll see that there were occasions in our lives where there was only one set of footprints and they weren't ours because the Lord carried us. You know, I've been the pastor of two churches and I used to look out on the congregations that I served and I saw the rows of faces and in those rows of faces 
I saw people who had lost their spouse. I saw people who had lost their children. And uh, I saw people who had uh, lost their businesses and uh, lost their jobs and suffered all manner of things to snuff out their faith forever. But there they were, Sunday by Sunday, still worshipping the Lord. And I used to wonder, why is it that they keep coming back? And why is it that they keep pressing on with Jesus? And I think it's because of this great text of Scripture. Because they have the Lord's presence. And I think it's because they are the Lord's possession. And I think it's because they've got the many many the many promises of the Lord the Lord's promises and here are three of them he promises that he will give us strength he promises that he will be our helper and he promises that he will carry us or uphold us so I hope that these few thoughts have been a, an encouragement to you let me just close in prayer Lord thank you for your word it means the world to us uh, we thank you for its encouragement and we thank you for its blessing. And we pray that you'll help us to take these, uh, these gems with us, these uh, blessed thoughts uh, with us into the week that is before us. Make us a blessing to others and we pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.